HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd. This is Greg Blaze. On today's show, I'm joined by the wonderful Homa Bashtaki of White Mustache Yogurt. Thank you so much, Homa, for coming on the show. It is my pleasure, <laughs> Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. For those of us who haven't had the pleasure of trying or knowing about White Mustache, Homa started her company alongside her dad, who has a really amazing white mustache that's the namesake of the company. She focuses on traditional techniques and small batches, making yogurt the way her Iranian grandparents made it. One of the things I love most about White Mustache is that Homa has really championed whey as a thing worth celebrating and enjoying. I want to talk about whey a little bit more after the break, but for now, I wanted to talk about your yogurt, Homa, and your company. Why did you start to make yogurt in the first place? Um, well, I don't... I don't really know if it was an intentional start point. Like, we always made yogurt in our family, and my dad always made it at home. And I just took, it was just something that was always there that I took for granted. And it was only when I moved away to college or, like, would get homesick that I would even make it for myself. Kind of, and also, like, just because I was a little cheap. Like, I was a college student with very little money, and I knew I could make my own yogurt for a lot less than I could buy it for. And then what made us start it as a business is that I had found myself during the 2009 crash, I'd gotten laid off. I was hanging, I was living with my parents at, like, the ripe old age of, like, 35. And I, you know... Yeah, I would like nothing, you know, to do. And me and my dad have always been really tight. But he's also getting, like, a little older. And as 
parents get older, it's kind of hard to like talk to them about regular things. And so I was like, we need an, yes. we need an activity. So yeah. I was so, I was so subconscious. Like I picked the one thing that we knew how to do well and that I knew it wouldn't take like rocket science. Like it was just like in our, it's like yeah. in our DNA. And so, totally. um, it was really unintentional. And my dad and I started making it in this beautiful Egyptian, like restaurant that was in like a strip mall near their house in California. And we just, we just started selling it at farmer's markets and it was, yeah. it was just a way to spend time with my dad. And that's how it started, um, as, as that's an awesome. enterprise, you know? Yeah. Well, I was also cheap and poor when I was in college, and I went to work for a butcher, and I eventually became a cheese man because I figured the closer I was to the food and selling it, the less times I had to pay for it. And uh, you know that was that was my that was my thing. And I also believe that food brings uh, people together. And yeah, our folks. Are old. Right. And um, yeah, what's up? Are you yeah. there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Sorry. What the hell was that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually, I actually um, like to have food as a medium to talk to my folks, too. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, what were you doing in 2009 before the crash? What were you, like, uh, running a Ponzi scheme or something like that? Were you, uh, you know, cheating <laughs> the economy? Or what's going on? No. no I, was a, I was a cog in a wheel at a very big law firm in New York City. And I had, you know... I I had practiced law. I was working at um, Sidley Austin in securities and derivatives. The entire market had crashed. All of our yeah. clients had stopped, like, giving any work to us. And we just, um, there was, it was just a big, massive layoff. And I yeah. actually enjoyed being an attorney. Like, as an immigrant kid, I feel like I checked all the boxes, went all to the right schools, and, like, finally had this thing yeah. that I defined as success. And right. the minute I got laid off, though, like, there was something in me that I just couldn't go back into the legal field. So right. it was um, it was, it was, was a time of self-discovery after the 2009 crash. But before then, yeah. I was a, I was a associate doing this, like, you know, yeah, doing stuff. Well, that little thing that you felt that was like your soul could saying, thank you for letting me out. That's the best decision you ever made. And anybody who's ever eaten your yogurt uh, is super happy that you decided to not be a lawyer, which there are lots and lots and lots and lots of, and instead make the best yogurt I've ever had. And there are very, very, very few people who do that. Um, and I know you know your yogurt because I, I lived on it. Uh, Homer and I... Um, we're together out in L.A. Uh, building Italy, uh, working like vampiric hours together, um, which is awesome. And I got to know her a little bit better. And uh, she also fed me all the time, whey and yogurt. I literally lived off of these things as I was working overnight. And uh, through that, I really, you know, I'd had your yogurt a couple of times um, because it sells out in Italy when we, certainly as soon as we get it. Um, but, but, you know, I managed to, to, to go for a few jars here and there, but then I started eating it regularly. And um, then I realized that it's on a different level from mostly everything you see in the supermarket for a lot. But I want you to talk to me a little bit about what makes it so special. Like what makes it that good? Are you just like, you know, a magician or 
what the hell? What the hell's going on there? Oh. Um, I mean, I'm no more or less a magician than anyone else who's actually making yogurt at home. I think the only thing I'm doing differently is I'm really keeping the integrity of that technique and that process on a commercial level. Like, even on our our retail jars, they're still made in relatively small batches, and they're made in, like, uh-huh. using, like, the same technology that we use, like, at home. And when I say technology, I'm talking about, like, heated milk, which holds its, like, thermal energy really well, gravity, yeah. and that's about it. You know, like, it, yeah. it, it's really, like, there is no intention to scale. There is no concern about volume. It's just like every single jar is treated like it's a piece of art in in the sense that it's like coming from like milk, which is like an animal's mother's milk. And it's like this beautiful ingredient that does magical things. Like I don't need to do magical things. I just need to honor these things. This is like the milk and the probiotics and letting them come to life together and being really patient about it. And, like, not ambitious, not, um, in, you know, on a rush to, to have it be anything other than it is. And so I think the only sure. thing I do different than other yogurt makers is just honor that process and, and not get in the way. But also, um, you respect the product's ingredients. So you use ingredients that you select. And I know for a fact that all milk is not created equal you know, because I sell milk in a lot of different forms. So I think that that's true. I think that the integrity that you pay attention to and that you maintain in your process, definitely um, the, the, the deconstructing nature of, of how, who I know you to be, bringing it down to those simple elements is there. But, um, but the milk has something to do with it, where you get it and how it is, Correct. Oh, yeah. it's It has, I mean, it's the number one ingredient. Like, if you don't start out with great milk, you're, you know, you're already kind of like, you're, you're, your yogurt's going to be as great as your milk is. And what's fascinating right. is once we did start with Italy LA, we noticed that the milk was so different, like West Coast cows versus East Coast cows. And we've identified, like, some, you know, pretty great farmers and great milk on both coasts. So to just taste the difference of these like superlative milks in the yogurt is so fascinating. And also like that difference in taste is what inspires different things to do with it. So now we can maybe like, you know, take advantage of some of the California citrus fruits or berries or um, natural produce to kind of go with that milk in a way that we're not inspired. Like, in in New York, it's more like tart berries and cherries and and like uh-huh. you know the whole line is very Middle Eastern, but also like it's very American. Like our milk is local and it's it, yeah. it inspires where you go with that. And the coast, the West Coast and East Coast, have really taught us that. Well, that's what America is all about: is taking where you're from and you know making yourself who you are. At least that's uh, that's what I was taught. America is. We all came from somewhere. And we come here, and uh, we become who we are, um, I hope. Uh, what's the difference between West Coast and East Coast milk? That's really interesting. So what, what, what it just, I mean, first thing, how does it, t- does it taste differently to you? Yes. Um, so it tastes differently to me in the sense that 
so the West Coast has like a milder climate, and so the cows are eating mm-hmm. more grass here, through, like fresh green yeah. grass throughout the year. And on the East Coast, they're eating more hay. Um, and so there's like a slight, like in, in New York, I love noticing the difference between the seasons of milk. Like the summertime right. milk would be a little richer and like creamier, and then the wintertime milk yeah. would not be the same. But like also the taste would be like different. Like I would look forward to wintertime milk because it would be just slightly a little harder. And um, yeah. the um, West Coast has just like this very sweet, creamy, buttery milk. Um and and producers here are allowed to to not homogenize their milk as as strongly as as the East Coast is. So that's an added perk. That's big homogenization, like pasteurization on some level, like like you know gentle pasteurization. I understand, especially um, for people that aren't on the farm or or, or you, when you're buying your milk from a from a source, you don't know the blades of grass. Gentle pasteurization is a safety thing, and it also is something that we have to do, unfortunately, to sell cheese. Uh, which breaks my heart. But um, homogenization is bad for the flavor, and I think it's also bad for you um, to be drinking things that are homogenized because your body doesn't really know what to do with it. It just sort of sits there. And that's one of the best things about yogurt for me is it's all jump-started with all of those cultures, and I am such an ill person. I just have a bad stomach now. Um, that that really helps me. It helps my digestive processes, and it. You know, makes right. me feel better. So now everybody knows that, which was super important for everybody to know my gastrointestinal problems. Um, <laughs> well, and you have you you and like home cooks that are listening have so much more freedom when they make their yogurt at home to pick like yeah. start off with raw, unhomogenized milk of any any yeah. mammal. Like and and you know we we um like. Are, are tied to laws that require us to pasteurize and homogenize milk, and it's so yeah. frustrating. The homogenization you make, for for aesthetic reasons. Do you ever make raw milk yogurt at home? I have, yes. Um, I think it's getting a good source of it that's difficult. Um, so, um, what, what's the I've major difference in that product? Like we. In the, in between between raw milk yogurt and pasteurized milk, like what's your, what do you notice as the maker and as a person who's eating it? That's the major difference there. So the major difference is in, in 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 when you incubate it, the layer of cream rises to the top of a raw mm-hmm. milk yogurt, and then once you've set your yogurt and you you know you want to get it um, either strained or not strained, once you mix the yogurt, the yogurt stays pretty uniform, but it has like a creamier, more buttery, um, taste to it. Um, so that, yeah. that would be the main difference that I noticed. That's awesome. So your yogurt is special, but the, you know, be, because you know where you get your milk, you keep your processes simple, you honor the processes that you use, um, and you're patient and smart. And you don't rush that, and you aren't concerned with how much you make and uh, and how much you get. It's uh, it's because it comes from something different, right? I mean, making yogurt right. was um, and is something you said that brings you closer to your dad, and it helps you communicate, and it also helps to sustain you um, in times when money is tight. So um, all of that is uh, is your philosophy as a human being, as I know you, and why I love you. But um, you know. It's good that people know that. Um, 
Because there's a lot of shitty yogurt out there, to be honest, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. I think if you or me, when I entered a market that turned out to be, like, quite saturated, like the yogurt market is, and how much difficulty uh-huh. we had in maintaining our technique and maintaining the way that we make yogurt, like, it, every batch is an advocacy effort. Like, I know, right. like, you know, it's nice to talk about the milk and, like, how much I love it and our sources of fruit and everything, but I also know, like, there are a million things that I can do better. And it's focusing on the million things that I can do better that is going to, like, make everything better. Like, you know, like, farms aren't used to people asking for raw, unhomogenized milk or pushing for it because it's like you're met with, like, an entire wall of bureaucracy that prohibits you from going through that. But I think, like, that's where the energy and the effort needs to be put. So I use, like, whatever resources I have to kind of, like recognize that we can always do something just a little bit better and that's where like the real kernel of um i don't know like the beauty of running a food business is so that's where the magic is see because you can stand out there with a picket sign and bitch and complain about anything and everything or you can make something that's marginalized and in cases like yours legislated against and you feed it to right. people, and they're like, holy Moses, this is the best thing I've ever had. And then you're like, yeah, I wish I could give you more, but, you know, I can't. And then that makes them ask questions, I think. Or that's why I like to do what I do and offer as much raw milk cheese to people and get all that information out there. But in order to really get your message across and get what you got, you know, do what you got to do, you have to make the good stuff. Absolutely. And you definitely yeah. do. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, yeah, I have a question, and it's uh, actually yeah. something that I feel that people need to know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a real simple question, but it gets asked to us all the time at cheese counters, and, um, and for some of the cheesemongers that listen, um, they'll know the answer to this, but what's the difference? What, when people ask for Greek yogurt, which you make some, what's the difference between Greek and, say, Iranian yogurt? Right. So, I mean, I don't want to bring up any historical grudges between the Greeks no. and the Iranians. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, the Greek, the Greek yogurt just hit the market first. And so it's called Greek yogurt. But what we uh-huh. call, you know, in the vernacular of buying yogurt, Greek yogurt is just simply strained yogurt. And so strained, strained yogurt. yogurt is is, is, is is Greek yogurt. So what that means is you strain the whey out of it, making the yogurt um, a naturally thicker and denser and creamier. Um, Exactly. And a lot lot of cultures do it. It's not just the Greeks. Like, the Iranians do it, the Armenians do it, the Turks do it, um, Lebanese. Like, a lot of Middle Eastern, Northern African cultures, European cultures, they strain their yogurt. And some cultures do it just to get whey. Or like like to get little nuggets of whey to to play with or make other ingredients with, and then yeah. we have a batch of yogurt that's unstrained, and that's just yeah. regular just regular yogurt. What we call it, we call it Iranian yogurt, and that's it's we, a, that's we just, call it that's Persian. Just, right? I'm just trying to to claim put our flag down in the market, yeah. but it, 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 there's the differences between strained and unstrained yogurt. And when right. you hear Greek yogurt or Greek style yogurt, 
it's a strained yogurt where the whey has been removed. Yeah, thank you. Because I just, I think that people get confused because they don't know the oh, difference. Yeah. I mean, it's I know the difference yeah. because you, you know what I mean? Now, I prefer yeah. the ones that are unstrained, as you know, um, because that's the ones that I always have to, you know, my job is to quality control the products of some at Italy, and I got to really check to make sure your unstrained yogurt is good pretty much every day I come across <laughs> it, you know. Right. I totally don't trust you. I got to make sure this stuff's all right. But I really <laughs> like that because the texture's better. You can drink it, right? You know, but, right. but that's just right. me. Right. I feel like when you go into the world of unstrained yogurt, too, that's where your palate is is open to going the opposite way most yogurt is. And, and instead of going sweet yogurt, you go savory yogurt, which is a particular right. passion of mine. And a traditional way, like a lot of, like, Middle Eastern cultures, and especially Iranians, have their yogurt savory. And we have this special yogurt uh, called musir, which is with a shallot. And it's it's so foreign to people. I love surprising them with the flavors and the versatility of it as an ingredient. So that's fun. It's amazing, amazing shit. Um, That's that's awesome. And I, I could talk to you for a long, 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 long time just about types of yogurt. Um, but you know, they, you know, there are other, I got to ask you some other stuff. So I want to ask you, um, you know, it's, it's really like you persevered in a lot of ways to create the company that you have now, first by making the career jump from the from a lawyer to making a yogurt for a living, and then by making the move from LA to New York city. Um, can you just talk a little about the challenges you faced in getting white mustache off the ground? Uh, was it product-wise? Was it marketing? Was it the law? Or was it your family? Or was it all of the above? Um, I think it was it was all of the above. Um, I think the legal challenges we had were the hardest. Um, yeah, and what also, were those? Like, um, so when, well, you know, as we're talking about, like, the idyllic spending time with my dad at Farmer's Market, like, the real story mm. after that is, like, within three months, California shut me down at the farmer's market because I wasn't using these like 1940s laws that regulate milk, which means that when you make yogurt or any grade A product, like it never touches human hands. And my whole process is about, you know, letting it strain and getting whisked and letting it like incubate over stovetop and like capping it and canning it like each jar by hand and like that wasn't allowed and for two years after we like I got shut down I was like threatened with a $10,000 fine and a year in prison I was like this is really messed up and I had all of this privilege in the sense that like I had gone to law school and I had like had all this education and you know my friends hooked me up with like amazing California attorneys who took on the case pro bono. And, like, I know it sounds silly, but for, like, eight gallons worth of yogurt a week to go to a farmer's market and sell with my dad, I was going up to Sacramento and submitting lab results and talking to, like, you know, assemblymen to try to pass bills. And, like, after two years, it became very clear that, like, I was not going to win this battle here in California, and it was so frustrating and so, like, I picked up my whole life and, like, left my family and went, went to New York and started White Mustache there. And it was, like, 
you know, now looking back on it, it was kind of like lonely and martyry, but it, I just, I don't mm. know what possessed me to do it. It was just like, I had, I had like found my passion and it was like, yeah. and I was so, I was so angry about what had happened in California because there was no, totally. there was no real public health reason for it. And nope. like, the, pr- the proof of it is, like, once we got to New York, like, never in a million years would I have thought that you and Italy would have called to ask me to be in, like, Flatiron and the World Trade Center Italy stores, much less to be like, look, we're going to help you get back into California, and you guys set up the most beautiful clean room here in California that let- lets me not only make yogurt, but also prove the point that, like, I can make yogurt in California, and it's awesome. And and we're missing out on so much really good food from diverse, beautiful communities of people that just want to make, like, small pockets of, like, yep. their art and, like, these micro-economies that could be highly sustainable, and we're keeping everything out. Like, it's so, like, it's so scandalous yeah. and terrible, and I hope that, like, like I mean, we went through a lot to get back to California, but I really yes, hope it did. proves the point that there's room for so many more other amazing food companies to crop up like this. One thing I love about Italy, and I've been with Italy since the beginning, is that Italy affords us the ability to do that because of its affiliations with Slow Food and because the people who who, um, who founded the company, like, Alex and Adam Saper, who met with you guys that day, and um, and the Bastianich from the Pali Restaurant Group, and Nicola Ferranetti, and these, and uh, and my guy Dino Bori, like these are people who believe, and I really, really, really am happy that we got to bring you back to Los Angeles to stick it to the government because they're <laughs> fools and they don't know what's good for us. Well, they know what's bad for us, and that's what they tell us to eat all of the time. Uh, but, you know, um, if we can win the little battles like that, like you started out with bringing, you know, this bringing isn't a little battle. Back, I mean, Greg, no, this isn't a little battle. This is a huge battle. Like you've changed and like this whole thing has changed the course of a life of an entire family and an entire like tiny little Zoroastrian community here in California where I've like now hired like a few people and it's been like incredible and so it isn't like it might be a tiny but like to like quite a few of us it's been life-altering and oh i don't mean it that way i mean i respect what you do fully what i mean and as well what i'm really saying is that any war and our wars on bad food and stupid legislation those wars are won by winning all of the small battles you know what i mean you can't take on bad legislation and the United States government all at once. No one wins that way. You have to get yourself in there, get the proper education, find yourself in the right spot, and have the passion and the perseverance to fight those little battles one at a time until you can make that change. At least that's how I try to operate, and I think that that's how we like to operate together. So um, I certainly didn't need it in that way. Right, and find like-minded people and listen to them and, and really, like, yeah. follow the advice of people who've come before you and failed. I feel like sometimes the failures that have come before us can inform us the most on how, like, the next... Like, I hope that like, there's, like, the next generation 
of, of yogurt makers that are going to do it better than I do, and I can't wait for them. What's your advice to those people, uh, folks who want to follow in your footsteps? I have to tell you, um, anybody that's listening that wants to get Homer's yogurt, um, you can only get it in a couple places in New York City and at Italy, Los Angeles right now. But for those people who want to do things like you do, and specifically make yogurt, or even just make yogurt at home, what's your, what's your, your major piece of advice to them? I think my number one piece of advice, whether it's as small as making a batch in your own kitchen or as big as, like, you know, trying to launch a business, is just focus on the product. Like, focus on the integrity of your product and make that paramount above everything else. That's awesome. Well, look, guys, we're going to take a short break. Um because we talked for a long time, and we have to take a little break. That's how we do things. Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the byproduct of Homer's yogurt, uh, which is the way. So hang out with us for a minute. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bellavitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. All righty. Welcome back to Cutting the Curry. Before the break, I was chatting with Homa Dashtaki about her company, White Mustache, and about the fantastic yogurt she produces. Um, and we're talking about our love for uh, restrictive laws and, um, you know, just how wonderful it is to drink, you know, heavily pasteurized and homogenized milk and then make crappy yogurt out of that milk. Um, really good time. But now I want to check, uh, check out a little bit of a different thing. And this part of the episode, I want to talk about whey. Um, as cheese people and as people who are regular listeners to this podcast, we know whey is the liquid byproduct of the cheese-making process. But whey is also a byproduct of making yogurt. But to you, Homer, it's more than a byproduct. Can you talk a little bit about what whey is for you? Um, yeah, so in yogurt making, I think it's a little different than um, cheese making because to me, sure. the whey is just the yin and yang of yogurt. It's like, a, it's still yogurt. It's an, And we have to give it a different name because it's just yogurt in a different form. And that's the liquid form okay. where we're draining out yogurt of this clear golden elixir, which like, you know, you call wow. it like yogurt water. Cause it's just the, 
it's just the, the liquid in the yogurt that's full of calcium and probiotics, but none of the solids. So all the solids still right. stay in, um, in, in your straining cloth. So in the, in the thick, creamy yogurt that becomes Greek yogurt. Um, but the whey is this like very potent, very versatile new ingredient that you will have on your hands. And for us, we just drank it because, um, we liked it, and when you're making it at home, you don't get, like, a lot, that much of it. So it's sure. great for your digestion. It's incredibly hydrating. Um, but now that we're making it commercially, we have, like, quite a bit of whey on our hands. And so back in 2014, we made a commitment to not make – not to increase our volume of, of producing yogurt. So we curbed our own growth until we found a market for the way. So we've been selling drinks, we've been selling popsicles, we've been doing brine buckets, and there's so many different things that you can do with whey. Like there are so many things you can do with yogurt. Um, but I actually awesome. find whey to be so exciting and, and light, and and you can, like, you know, I think you can do more things with it than you can with yogurt. Was it difficult uh, to convince people to try the whey? Yeah, I think it was, and I think I was, like, a little cavalier about it because I knew uh, what it was, and I was familiar with it, and I was like, drink it, it's I, delicious, you'll love it. Um, and a lot of people were like, was like, screw oh. that, I'm not drinking this. <laughs> yeah, they were like, what is that? Why is it that color? And it is, it's like this neon yellow color because of the right. riboflavin C12 vitamins in, in, in the milk, and that's, like, you know, that's just the color of of the way. So it's like this neon yellow, um, liquid and people like, they're like, Oh, it's from yogurt. I don't know if I'll like it. And so, right. um, we, we like failed in our first like iterations of it. Cause we just put it in like a one liter bottle and was like, drink it. It's awesome. And people were like, no. Um, like, and so we but learned, I'm, not, I'm not drinking that. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, but like, you know, p- people who were receptive to it, were like bartenders. Like bartenders were the most yeah. receptive to it, to like, you know, make funky really? drinks and experiment with it. And then chefs as well to like brine with it or bake with it, which is exciting. Yeah, well, so what we learned you like what what is yeah. everything that you can do with whey? You can you can brine turkeys in it. I know that. Why is it so good for that? What does it do? And because yo yeah, because yogurt just because the whey just like yogurt is very acidic. And if you uh-huh. put poultry or pork into uh, into the way to brine like overnight or like a pork chop for a few hours, the meat takes on like gets tenderized by the acidity of the the yogurt way, and it also like infuses it with like a lemony tang, and like with a pork chop, like your pork chop even tastes creamier because of that, and with your turkey or a chicken, the the sugars that are in the whey also help give like a nice golden brown crust to to the to the skin. Yeah. So um it's like That's fascinating. Awesome. Um yeah. Well it is to me also because, you know, if you're being familiar with the cheese making process, you know, really simply, you know, you, you take the milk, you acidify it, flagrate it, the you know, the, the curds and whey split, boom. Um you have whey that sometimes is turned into ricotta by reheating it, you know. I always equate it to, like, scraping the jar that you've, uh, you've like, you have a jar of peanut butter, and it's, it looks empty, but you can still see some clinging 
you're like scraping a little bit more. And that's what ricotta is to me, you know, just getting a little bit more out of the way. And then usually that is either thrown away, which is not good, or it's fed to animals. Uh, pigs love it. And, and then they make, then they thusly, uh, you know, um, they take, they, they take those pigs and they make ham out of it. And um, could you make ricotta out of the yogurt way if you wanted to? No. No. Why is that? I don't think. I think because there's no solids for it to hold on to. Nothing. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, the way that was just, I really thought were cool. The people who are, are listening that, like, are like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Um, it is. It's like, initially, this liquid looks, it looks a little funky, only because it's almost green. You describe it as golden, but it looks almost green in the bottle, and people are like, huh. Even though those people regularly drink Gatorade that is, like, bright blue and, you know, that looks like Windex. I am guilty of that myself. Um, and, uh, you know, and like these awful colored, these, these drinks, it's so pure. I think that people are put off by it because they're so used to drinking things that don't look like that. But, um, the way beverages that Homa makes are awesome. She does one with pineapple, um, and then the ginger one, like they're just really good. They're really refreshing. Um, and, um, and then also you're going to make popsicles out of them sometimes, right? In your freezer or something like that was like. That was something I that I wanted to do myself. I froze some of your pineapple whey and turned it into ice cubes in my refrigerator, which I thought was really awesome. I just right. put them in my water. You can do all of that, right? Right. You can use those ice cubes as well if you're um, making a, a punch or a cocktail. You can um, yeah. turn them into little popsicles as well. And, um, yeah. like, it's it's good for kids with, like, you know, the digestive issues or with like right. if you're sick or you're elderly or you want something easy to go down like it's really light right. um and it's so yeah we learned amazing. with the drinks that adding like tart fruity flavors to it like just pineapple juice or passion fruit juice or honey lime um makes it really like pop a little bit and um yeah. with the popsicles like our brand is like a little you know, it's like a father-daughter team who started it. Now my sister's roped in and my mom's roped in. And, like, it's, yeah. it's like, this very nostalgic <laughs> thing. So we put the popsicles in, like, these old-school, like, Otter Pop-style gourmet, you know. Yeah. So, I love that. Um, yeah, so we're trying to have a little fun with it. And also, you know. Just, yeah. Well, I, I think it's fun. Like, I, I suffer, like, you know, like, my body, I, you know, I treated it like an amusement park for a long time, and now it doesn't work like it used to. But um, when he started feeding me the way, I was energized and my stomach felt better. And all of this, all of the, that massive amount of, like you said, probiotics cultures that are good for your guts um, are in the way. And it was, it was light. Like, it has the appearance of being thick and almost viscous. And then when you drink it, it's not like that at all. Um, yeah, the tart flavors, they really... They really appeal to me. At most of the stuff you, you, you do, I'd say that there isn't a single product I've had in your tiny little line that I wouldn't, um, you know, completely be gluttonous with if I had the opportunity. I know people who may or may not own the company that immediately buy cases of the yogurt as it comes in from into Italy. It's just, that's, um, that's how good your stuff is. And I, and I love your, your philosophy and uh, just... Um, just everything that you said, you know, and like, it's, it's interesting when you're dedicated to something, 
um, and you're so you're in it, you know, your head is in it. Like it's, you're in the, the pot, you're in the, in the field, you're into the cheese making that, like whatever, whatever you're into, you know, all of those philosophies come out through the work that you do. And, um, and you are a person that really, um, inspired me, uh, just to try to be better at my own craft because you're so good. Your stuff is so awesome, but yet you're super, you're hyper self-critical. Um, and, uh, and I can understand that as well, you know, but, um, you're going to give yourself a break, right? Come on. Um, I, I can't, I like, I mean, it's funny as you were talking, I'm like, I don't know. I could do so much more with the way and I could use some advice on like who the, mar- you know, like I just need some, I was like, I'm not doing enough. So I'm, um, I, it's so funny you said that. It was like running through my head, but, um, of course it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, asked you know, I give myself some, a break, um, as I surround myself with more help. So we're just now looking yeah. for more help because I know, I know that I can't do it. Like now it's come to the point where it really does take a village. Um, and, and people out there are smarter than me and I would like to, I'd like to hear what they have to say. Well, you know, Homo man, it's, uh, it's great to be able to work with you. I'm really glad that, um, that you got in, um, you know, that we, that we were able to help you out, that Italy was able to help you out and, um, that, you know, that you just make great yogurt and that it's available and it's out there and you get to do, um, you know, you might've been a good lawyer and I'm sure you were because I've argued with you late at night and I understand <laughs> that you're, you're really good. But I think, uh, I think if you believe in that sort of thing, that this is, um, this is your path, this is the way you were supposed to go. And I hope you agree yeah. with me. I do. I do. I feel very lucky to have found it. So thank you for your support. Well, thank you for your awesome stuff. And uh, I want to say thank you to all of you people who listen to this awesome podcast. Um, And uh, yes, check out White Mustache and uh, check out Homer. Come to Italy, LA. Go find it in Brooklyn. Find it in New York. Find the way pops. Find anything she's got and keep eating them. And then keep listening to this podcast. And give us feedback. Give us tons of feedback. We would we welcome everyone's opinion. Yeah. Thanks, Homer. And uh, thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week for more Cutting the Curd. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? 
probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, a podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.